You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Florida Surf Film Festival and Surfing's Evolution and Preservation Foundation. I'm your host, John Brooks, and with me, as always, is co-host Kevin Miller. How you doing, Kevin? I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me, and uh, ain't it nice to have a podcast sponsor? It is. It is. And yeah, I mean, if... uh, if you haven't already, go and get you a new license plate. Get you the cool Endless Summer license plate. They do a lot of good things, and uh, we appreciate their support. Absolutely. We're not the only ones to benefit from that. Uh, but surfing's evolution and preservation is largely influenced by the budget they get every year. They, they pass out those funds to organizations that their board approves, and uh, we're one of them, luckily. Yeah, yeah. It's a great thing, and uh, and you get a cool license plate to boot. So yeah, check absolutely. it out. But uh, yeah, we're uh, excited today. We got a, a nice kickoff to our 10-year anniversary of the Florida Surf Film Festival with uh, our show on February 4th. And um, we had a film that we showed called The Impossible Wave, um, all about Fernando Aguirre and his um, journey to get surfing into the Olympics, 27-year a labor of love to get surfing into the Olympics. And we were lucky enough to have the director and producer, husband and wife team Jay and Jessica Johnson join us from their home in San Clemente. They flew over for the festival uh, to show their film and present their hard work to our fans. And um, man, it was a treat to have them. The team, uh, this is our first husband and wife know, team right? to ever do a film that, that I'm aware of. This is the first one that we've shown. Yeah. And, um, 
yeah, what a creative force uh, the two of them are. They make it look easy from from the minute we talked to them on the phone about coming out and their movie. Jessica was uh, just thrilled and uh, complimentary of the festival, saying you know they were going to come out. I you know when the people say that, I'm not sure if they mean it. And, <laughs> and then they came out, even though we could provide only one airfare, they still you know took on the budget to bring out both people. And it's like yeah. What a team, and uh, the product holds up on the screen. You know, the fans were digging it. Uh, there's a great, uh, the last act of the documentary is, you know, featuring the 2024 location of the surfing event. And, you know, it's... Yeah, it's Chopu. Yeah. It's going to be mind-blowing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. This conversation covers a little bit of that, so let's get right into it. John, anything else? No, we're just stoked to have Jay and Jessica uh, here in Florida with us and enjoy our chat. Yeah, yeah. So we're super excited to have Jay and Jessica Johnson with us. And um, we will be uh, featuring their film tomorrow night, The Impossible Wave. And so welcome from California. And uh, we're excited to have you guys here. Thank you guys so much for having us. This is a, a true joy. Yeah, this is you a got treat. It. Absolutely. It's wonderful to uh, bring filmmakers out. But, you know, I've always wanted to know more about Fernando. And then the fact that you're here to answer questions for the fans and here to talk with us today. Um, he's kind of a, I don't know. I mean, you've a heard character? a character. Yeah. <laughs> How PG are we keeping this? Are we keeping no, this we pretty above board? <laughs> no, this I, exactly. We... we yeah. yeah, so yeah. We, we yeah we can tell the truth a little bit for absolutely. Sure. I mean, we he's, can a, edit he's anything, all about so. the truth. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be about eight people that listen to this, uh, maybe nine. That's not true. No, we're gonna we're gonna get a good uh, listen on this. So this this story of how Fernando brought Olympics uh, surfing to the Olympics is going to be interesting for I think the fans, but um, they're not going to have an opportunity to see the movie here at the festival. But later. Do you guys have plans already, distribution in the works? Uh, if there, We have to be very careful because there's Olympic footage in there. So right. anything has to be cleared by the International Olympic Committee. Okay. So it's in the works. There's discussions, but, you know, it's it's very sensitive. There's rights holders, and there's a lot of logistics that go into actually making it public. Right. Yeah, look, we're going into the festival market a bit, which is fantastic to be here, and we, we are so excited to, to kind of prom- – be a premiere here in Florida. And um, so we're hitting the festival market for sure. And there is some distribution plan, worldwide distribution plans in the mix right now, for, you know, for for distribution of the film. Yeah, absolutely. I noticed it was okay. right at 40 minutes, which is kind of perfect for an hour-long program on regular TV. You could drop some commercials in there. And is that kind of part of the design on the timeline? Absolutely. Uh, there's definitely some planning in, on the mix behind there. Okay. There's a lot of actually festivals that cap it f- at 40 to be a short okay so that was the main goal there i mean we've got <clears throat> the film obviously can be expanded um greatly in, in in many of the stories that we tell it really kind of <laughs> tells a lot of stories quickly yeah um which is you know it's hard to get through a man's life that of that, that sort of legacy in 40 minutes yeah. really and then include you know the the journey to the olympic games that he really spawned yeah, at one point, his childhood was like, in the rough cut, was like 20 minutes. Wow. Oh, wow I mean, okay. he's just got such a storied past, and like from his childhood all the way through the Olympics, I mean, it would you could watch 12 hours of content. So yeah. 
it was really hard to make some cuts about storyline in that way. So, yeah, it's hard. And Jay said it did go quickly at some moments, and I wish we could have just made it a full feature. But, you know, it is a little strategic. Well well played. I, yeah, well, I, I've always wondered what goes through people's heads when they make something like that. You guys have a intent to, I mean make money on it hopefully at some point but it seems like it's tough to do you, you know uniquely it, it actually is is not intended to make money <laughs> the yeah, isa, the ISA is a, a you know non-profit organization in, mm -hmm. in the back end and <clears throat> look what what the main goal is is worldwide distribution at the highest level okay that's really it is telling the story of the surfing being becoming an olympic sport which you know as we've talked about before is uh, almost inconceivable from from as me as a child thinking that we would get there yeah you know and you guys are you know similar age to me i mean mm -hmm. wh what would you think you know yeah I, I mean i thought i you know s having competed professionally all through the 90s and think you know feeling like that was the kind of high water mark and I remember back then people going, it's never going to get in. It's never going to, especially when Fernando first started trying Yep. and ran into like the initial roadblocks. I mean, it took him what, 27 years. Yeah, that's great. You know, yeah. A lot of people would have given up 26 years before he did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, everybody, there was a lot of people we interviewed, um, Bob McKnight included that, that has said nobody could have ever pulled it off but Fernando. Yeah. It takes like a certain dedication and a certain type of personality and he just is no matter how many doors shut in his face or the opposite he just kept going and he's like that in everything he does it's really remarkable yeah i'm i'm equally excited about the the fact that the film um in my opinion kind of resurrects fernando as a character in surfing because like when we were young everybody knew who fernando you didn't even have to say his last name that's you know, right fernando yeah. reef and everybody knew that and like I've been like talking to kids at the inlet the last couple of weeks about, hey, we're showing this film. It's about Fernando and like the Olympics, and they're like, "Who's Fernando?" Who's Fernando, yeah. And I'm like, right. "Dang it, people need to know who that guy is." So I'm I'm equally as excited about that as I am about the the Olympic story. Just Fernando's story in general is fascinating and needs to be told. We spent countless hours at his house, which obviously you see in the film as like a museum to surfing. Yeah, yeah, and the archival. Oh, photos amazing. in his house i mean he's got he, he says something he's like it's go upstairs get the picture it's in this box and he brings it down and it's like a whole box from one time period and wow. i said um i was explaining to someone the other day that we went over to get like a 20 minute vo pickup at his house and we're like all right fernando we're just gonna be here for 20 <laughs> minutes that's all that's it we're you know we got to get out of here he's like yes okay 12 hours later, <laughs> this is like no the joke. third, 12, 12 How many hours later. 12 hours, yeah. 12 hours but it's later. So he, he remembers every story from everything on his wall, every photograph, every person, their name, things about them. Like he's a historian. Yeah. Um, and his house is, uh, reflects that. Nice. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, his, he, he the he he's good friends with Greg Knoll over the mm -hmm. years, okay. and I've had the unique opportunity. We have the unique opportunity to um, do some content with Greg and spend a lot of time with Greg, and and they remind me each other in one specific way is is no matter how many times they tell the story, it's the same story, right? And it, it does not change that. It feels like that story is like resin, yeah, like catalyst and baked in there, yeah. Um, that it's. 
it's definitely happened that way. And that's what it, you know, they both, they both um, have that in, in common for sure. And that's unusual because most of the time stories get a little better, different. Yeah. You know, each time they exactly. get told, they get a little embellishment here and there. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he seems to, he seems to just tell it the same way every time. It's unique. What I give us some background on where you guys came from in the film production, TV production uh, world. Um, sure. Um, you know, I come from a, a deep background in, in live broadcasting with surfing events. So, you know, I was lucky enough to be on the North Shore in the late 90s, very late 90s, living over there uh, as a um, graphic designer and video producer. And, you know, met some friends and stumbled upon that we could broadcast our sport over the Internet. Um, this is 99. So we started doing this with events like the Pipe Masters right off the bat, so fairly high-level events. Um, and that turned very quickly into what is, you know, some of the most successful, the most successful sport to utilize the Internet as their distribution tool, and that's surfing. Mm, yeah. Um, we were the first sport, as far as I'm aware, and I'm pretty st strong about this, that, that utilized live broadcasting to put, High-level sport broadcasts to market. I don't. I can't think of anything can't else. Think of anything and else? Then I'm sure you've actually given it some thought since you were a pioneer on that. And how does that pay for itself? Did you start a production company? Did you do it for a favor first? Are you paying your dues with those guys? What's going on with that? Well, this goes back to surfing live, and and even well before you know we were well before the Surfline days actually. So we yeah. had a live camera circuit, um, and okay. they were high quality. Windows Media Player cameras, and okay. we then, you know, Surfline came out with their deal. Sean Collins and, and I were friends as well, so there was no animosity there. We just had similar business models to promote um, surfing and get surfing, you know, to the fans. It, uh, we didn't, ours was more of an entertainment than it was check the surf. Yeah. Okay. It was like if Pipe was going off, we wanted to be on it, and we wanted to show the surf fans uh live pipeline and so yeah. we started doing that in the early 2000s and what happened was there wasn't a lot of money to be made there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so we did, you know did some events on the north shore we did you know all the the triple crown circuit and when you could, say we what, who do you mean well my team you know my surfing live team my my crew right live and that was the name of your crew. company is surfing it live. was surfing live yeah okay. back then it would that turned to itv 360 and then now which is action sports production so okay. that's same year you guys started 2012 uh, more 10 years in the midst here. So wow. um, that's kind of the the start. And then we kept figured out that live broadcasting was the way to make some money in the surf industry, right? And the, to yeah. have some fun and really try to, you know, my goal in life literally is to make the highest level live broadcast in the world as well as create content behind that. So we really started creating content to fill all the dead holes in the, in the surfing world. And that's when I learned, hey, wait, this is, this is kind of fun, and we can really expand upon this and create feature films, create long-form content. And um, so a lot of it spawned from, from the live broadcast events and then cr creating films after that for the event. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So... I got to go back again because did Vans give you Triple Crown 
money to shoot it or, or to, and to broadcast it? Did Bill? This is before the Triple Crown. Actually, Vans was in the Triple Crown. So each okay. one of these events, it was, it was actually just the, the first one was the Rip Curl Pipe Masters that we did in 2000. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and then it it moved year after year, you know, through different whoever the players were. You know, the yeah. ASP back then was was the governing body, but they didn't produce the content. Right. right. So the mm. each brand owned and produced the content. So Billabong, Quicksilver. Different um, commentators for different like commentators, their right. team. They each would have a different team. Right. Um, they would pay for all broadcasting and they would have different each one of them had a different team do it. Okay. Right. So for the most part, um, there was three or four teams. Volcom had their own guys they like to use. Okay. Um, Rip Curl had their own guys they like to use. And then Billabong, which I worked with a lot um you know used us quite a bit and you know it it just that's how it was back then it was it was governed by the brands what about quick yeah quick quick had had a strong team from australia mostly right okay. so they because it started with the gold coast event and man they did they did some incredible work okay. in the early 2000s of of to create what is now surf broadcasting um what is now kind of elite like the nba i mean if you look at the wsl what they're doing now it all f- spawned from that level back in the early 2000s when quicksilver was doing the quicksilver pro and then we all kind of had to level up yeah yeah <laughs> really to to get there and so the you, aussie contingent was pretty strong over there you rode for quick when you were a pro. i did right? i rode for quicksilver for 12 plus years yeah that's yeah. me give us our timeline with quick Oh boy, this was um, this. I started with Quicksilver. Man, it was eighty six. Okay. So so it was eighty six to to ninety seven, ninety eight. I broke my leg bad at, at, in Tahiti, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of it was tough after that. Um, but but yeah, I had a good run with them, and we w- got to travel the globe and see the best waves in the world. And it really is why I'm still doing this now, is because I just hold on to that. Yeah. Extreme passion of and love for surfing. Who who did you travel with most? Was Jamie Briz a Quicksilver back then with you? He was. Or he uh, was it was Taylor Wisnan back then, okay. and then yeah. John Gothard was really, you know, on the wetsuit side. They okay. just started the wetsuit side of things, and I was living in San Luis Obispo, uh, going in and out of school for many many years. Yeah. <laughs> 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 too, too many years to count, but but a couple degrees and. Um, yeah, I traveled a lot with the Central Coast boys, and we, you okay. know, and we did a lot of trips up to Mavericks and a lot of stuff up up north, and really hung out with, you know, even though they weren't Quicksilver boys, but hung out with Pete Mel a lot and Flea, and just yeah. kind of, you know, really tried to not be in competitive surfing and and be on the on the promotional side of it, which is a big deal now, right? People, yeah. Nathan Florence, you yeah. know that that world of things has spawned with us trying to become that before before it even existed really okay. you know when when you're not that good at contest you got to try to make your money other, <laughs> another way somehow so th- yeah. that's interesting cuz that's actually something i've been wondering about very um, interesting cuz a lot of a lot stuff. of people view um, surfing kind of spl- fracturing into two different directions if it, not surfing but just if you're a kid right now and and you're 14 or 15 years old and, and you have like legit talent, you kind of have to choose. Am I going to go the contest route or am I going to go the Nathan Florence route? Yep. 
And so I'm wondering, do you foresee a time in the future where a production company such as yourself uh, maybe manages an individual athlete and his content production? Wow, that's that's actually a very, very great question. I mean, Jessica could probably expand on that because she's got a lot of media background, a massive media background, which, which like that of a high-end ad agency, taking on a client like Nathan, why don't you? I think it's, <coughs> I think that's interesting. I, I've actually never thought about that, but I think to curate, like you're essentially curating an image of, of somebody Yeah. and you're, fo- it's a little bit documentary cause you're following their life, but you're also promoting their brand. Um, I, man, that's I tough. wonder what that contract looks like. It's, 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 it's almost like the brand has line. to go straight to you and go, go make a movie about Kolohe or go make a movie about somebody. Well, I only want five percent for coming up with the idea. By yeah. the way, yeah, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll give you royalties, buddy. You know it. To expand on that, you know, brands do that are, are that actually, yeah, in, in a way, right? And then it, yeah, they, like brands do would, it. But I guess that's what I'm saying is I'm t- so this would be non-endemic. This would be a sure. production company yep. that comes in and says, or and and it may. I, I guess that's I'm envisioning neat. a situation where you've got kids who are like trying to sign with brands for sponsorship, but then trying to sign with production companies for content creation. Everybody kind of travels with their own team these days. Like everyone's got their own cinematographer. That's like a predator. They can edit, they fly the drone, like they have all that. I think people are curating their image very well. And then um, the other interesting piece to what you're saying is I think even documentary is basically branded content. Sure. Right. You know, you have companies creating these documentaries. Like I think about drive to survive. Have you guys watched mm-hmm. it, the Formula One yeah. docuseries? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the highest form of branded content you could ever yeah. right. get, right? Yeah. And surfing's going into that with make or break. Like it's cut. There's a, a lot of bleeding lines now between sponsored content and yeah. documentary or, you know. Who's funding make, make or break? It's is a, well, straight the, WSL? Or the no? production company is Box to Box, okay. and they did make or break, Breakpoint, and uh, Drive to Survive. I don't know where the funding is coming from. Probably multiple. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah, the answer exactly. to that. But it's kind of become the gold standard. And I think kids these days are starting to think about themselves as brands. Mm-hmm. And so how are they going to, it's a great question. Like, how are they going to position themselves um, image-wise to become the most valuable asset that they can? And that's like free surfing, you know, or, you know, those guys, it's a unique challenge. Yeah, because I'm still working the on that. Yeah. Myself, yeah. I think the crap of the world and all this, yeah. you know, yeah. shit that they put out these days that exactly. is all of a sudden you, you see this kid become a, a millionaire. Yeah. And it, it just, it's mind blowing actually to guys like us. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of interesting to we, see what rises to the surface. We were, we were surfing for 4,000 bucks, you yeah, know, like, exactly. and, and stoked to even get a I, chunk I of I got to say that to the audience right now that, uh, who's listening, they, they should know that John Brooks and Jay Johnson right here in front of us went head to head. Yeah. We used to surf against, I surfed yeah. against you in a PSWA heat that yeah. I distinctly remember your name in a heat. I thought you were going to say lost. distinctly remember I lost. winning. I lost. No, <laughs> I lost that particular heat. But uh, John John knows what he's doing out there. Yeah, he does. I've seen him. Yeah. Anyway. It's, it's just funny, I think, that because for us growing up, that was the gold standard. That was the, if you wanted to be the wealthiest version of a surfer, that was the route, was contest, contests, was winning it. contests, and then getting contracts. And I think, I, I really think we're on the, cusp right now of a kid like Nathan uh, look at Jamie O'Brien 
There you, you know, go. Jamie O'Brien serves one contest yeah. a year. It's there you go. pipe. There you and, go. And, and or he serves multiple contests at pipe, but he doesn't sur- compete at any other surf break. And he's done quite well for himself. I think there's there's a lot of great examples of that. I mean, besides Ben Gravy, there's out. I mean, Albie Layers kind of like yeah, his own. a little bit of that yeah. for sure. Absolutely, love, which we love a that. lot of that. And you know, g- brands like Stab are kind of pushing that sort of that sort of thing for sure, and it's kind of exciting, right? There's it gives more than one path, right? And yeah, you we we're in the you know Jess and I in this Olympic journey. We're in the Olympic path, and you want to talk about almost the polar opposite of that, right? Yeah. This is this is mental training, strength training, coach the seven coaches, Team yeah. Germany and sponsorship to really train athletes at the highest level to achieve competitive goals. And that is like a whole other model and transition from all of that. When I was going to say, did you guys ever think it would happen, the Olympics for surfing? I never did. Did was it ever did it ever enter your mind or you thought about it and you're like it'll never fucking happen? No, I absolutely thought about it because when when we were surfing in the '90s on PSAA and Bud Tour, Clarion, Panasonic, whatever it was that year, um, I was intimately familiar with who Fernando was and yep. what he was trying to accomplish, and everybody was like, "It is never going to happen." You're crazy. First never going to happen. <laughs> exactly. I love watching the Olympics. I just don't have the time to watch as much as I would want to watch nowadays. And now yep. that everything's sort of available, whatever you want to watch it on the app through Peacock or whatever it is. Um, I find myself more interested, especially when my kids are around, we're watching the trampoline competitions or things like that. But I find, because I have n- I don't trampoline. I don't or trampoline. curling, <laughs> for example. <laughs> I, I know, yeah. Get really into curling exactly. really quick, you know? You would die on a trampoline, by <laughs> oh, the way. Yeah. I'm the most. <laughs> you think you broke your leg at Chopu? <laughs> yeah. uh, it would have been much worse. But, but that, yeah. that's what I think so fascinating is that the Olympics well, yeah. is arguably the... the the path to real money for any sport. It's the door opener to surfing for the general. So I'm viewing. I'm just curious to see now that it's been in the Olympics. I'm curious to see if that elevates the contest aspect of surfing to a higher level because I felt like for a while, um, just in the last few years, we were seeing surfers that were you, when you see John John take a year off and sail around the world on his boat. Because he's getting he's getting paid just as much money to do that as he is to do the world tour, and then you see footage of him in, you know, Pacific Island reef passes, and you're like, he's not hurt, like he's ripping, like he's not injured. And does so, he really care about that prize money? Yeah, I'm like, does I he mean, does he care about the world tour, or is he just going, nope, I'm a brand, literally, my name's on the board, and so I'm gonna produce myself as a brand, and show it to the world. I'm just curious to see how another really good question, another really good question or, or thought like that's curious, curious (laughs) to see if the Olympics um, counteracts that. That's a good question. I mean, I think, I think they're striving to counteract that. Right. And I think we're kind of lucking into a a few things here. Like the one, one is that Paris 2024 is, is happening and, and, Fernando was bold enough to really, you know, spearhead and Chopo as the place to run the event. And that is one another one of Fernando's strokes of genius. Yeah. Um, that, you know, look, it's in the film. You know, Biritz and Hasegura are flat that time of year in yeah. summer. And, 
you know, Fr- French Polynesia is French is, yeah. is French yeah. owned, <laughs> and this is this is an opportunity. Yeah, and so I think there's a stroke of luck. There's some there's some people up there looking down because you know I think it can deliver what can be the best imagery we've anyone's ever seen from the Olympic Games. I don't you know people are it's going to blow people's mind. We're talking about six point five billion people watch the Olympic Games, and what is unique about what you're talking about in you know we're just talking about from a united states perspective and watching on peacock but this is such a worldwide um sporting event that it it, it and w- i didn't understand it to the level until i got there until i was a part of tokyo 2020 really and see and feel it was n- unlike any other surf contest yeah ever and it was not even close and it you know, the surfers will tell you that too. Yeah. It was actually really unfortunate that we were in the COVID era. I mean, obviously it got pushed back. You had this series of events where the earliest typhoon in Japan history, right, came through. And that's why we actually had waves at that time. But they had actually constructed this, like, ten, I think it was a 10,000 capacity, like, surfer's village with a stage for music and a surfing museum. They flew all these boards in mm. and they made the decision not to have spectators so it was almost this very dystopian, very weird thing because you have, they invested, they d- the Japanese did such an incredible job wow. bringing everybody into the culture of it and not one fan. Mm. So you kind of, we, we got there and we started walking around like this, uh, this surfing village that they had all spent so much time on. There was nobody in Sterile. there. And then you go in the museum, there's nobody in there. And, you know, to be on the beach and you're watching these athletes compete and look back, there's not a single person on the sand. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that kind of sad. I, I do feel like the Japanese dominate the surf culture. Oh yeah. World. Yeah. Um, for sure. Like they, w- whenever they do something, they do it really well. Um, and they're fantastic hosts, and they're so gracious, and like yeah. they do everything so beautifully. Yeah. yeah. That is a shame, though. Yeah, that part was that part was really difficult because this would have been the fan base would have been something we've never seen before ever in the history of surfing period. I mean, we've seen some crazy stuff in Brazil and you've seen those drone shots of the the Rio beach filled up. It would have been tenfold. I'm telling you. And there was this beautiful, like Jess said, back end, um, green room was a company that put, put it on was a festival. And it brings to the point uh, the Olympics are engaged in surfing as a lifestyle yeah more than just the actual surf itself so back to to kind of your point yes the elevation of surfing but it's it's the transition of new sport um you know skateboarding surfing Mm -hmm. uh sport climbing sport climbing right and these new sports that are coming infused is youth is youth generated and even lifestyle generated which is a break and a transition from the typical background of the Olympic field of play. Yeah. Have you, did you guys ever shoot Chopu before the WSL took over? Um, well, I certainly have. I would <laughs> imagine. Did you try live broadcasting from there before that was, I've never tried live broadcasting before we've done, we okay. did some simulations with Sean a long time ago. Sean okay. Collins, that is to actually do exactly what we're talking about. It's just, like hit a, a good day, basically code red, remember code red, mm-hmm. how unbelievable that was. That was, they just lucked in that to that being during the Billabong pro. Right. So the, the broadcast team from Billabong was there. Yeah. Gotcha. And there, you know, some smart minds behind the scene who I won't name, you know, were smart enough to flick it on. 
yeah, and cover it. And I thought it was one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen. I watched every second wow, of that yeah. live, eight hours live of Code Red. And so that's what, you know, you know that was the early days of Chopo being yeah. kind of... Well, it's going to be different than Japan, right? It's going to have a uh, much more focused on content uh, production quality so that everybody can view it later because live it's it's their you're either on a boat or you're on a tv yep and so exactly that's going to be interesting and uh super, i super. just want you to know that john and i are both available <laughs> for yeah, the, uh runners. You play I, I constantly get the i'll wrangle cable yeah. i'll do anything <laughs> you want well we there is a position to hold the fiber cable underwater for the four okay days. <laughs> done <laughs> done i'll do it fiber cable did I've been working on my Wim Hof, so I want an Olympic shirt with fiber cable holder on the back. Exactly. Well, so you might get in some scuba gear, etc. But yeah, I think um, the ISA has really helped me understand um, what a unique decision this was by the ISC and by everybody. That, to your point about the field of play, really the only time they t- I mean, this is fifteen thousand miles away from the center of the games. Yeah. In the middle of the ocean, right? So. Isn't that crazy? How it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, that's and you can't build scaffolding. You can't build anything. No. They thought about, you know, do you bring cruise ships in to have people be on the cruise ship, spectate? Like, there's all these things that have kind of swirled around. But I believe, and I don't want to speak out of turn, that the only re- time they've ever really made a decision to not, to have a field of play away from the center of the games is for something like equestrian, mm-hmm. where you can't, oh, okay. you know, get the horses where they need to go. So this is really yeah. a bold move by the IOC and by Thomas Bach and by everybody involved to actually give the best field of play to these athletes, right? That's the that's the one aspect yeah. that I hope sets the benchmark so that that continues for future Olympics because of most most all of the Olympic sports, it doesn't matter where you do it. You can if there isn't a field of play that is appropriate, you can build it, but that you can't do that for surfing unless we're talking about going into pools, and that's a whole different topic. Yeah, we can get into that one but for another two hours. But yeah, <laughs> but I just I'm so excited yeah. that they made that decision to say it doesn't matter where it is; it matters that we produce a quality production and put you know hi- highlight and showcase these folks in their best environment i hope that sticks around it's also culturally like the end of the road there is so unique you stay with tahitian families there's no you know like that is part of and i'm not a surfer i've told you guys this and you know unfortunately um but i've just been i've been on this ride with everybody for seven years now and it's been the biggest joy of my life but we went to the end of the road and you don't really understand the significance of what that means until you realize you know there's no hotels there and you see, you got to yeah. go out on the boats, you know? So I think yeah. there's going to be a really good storytelling opportunity yeah. leading up to the games to teach and teach in a righteous way about culture and what that means. And actually, you know, Bob said it in the film, it goes back to the origins of the sports in many ways. So mm-hmm. um, it's all around just incredible to think about. 24 yeah. women, 24 men, uh, they're going to be uh, competing, all staying there on site. I mean, that's kind of about the same number as a WSL contest. Yeah, it's about right. I mean, I think a little bit less on the men, but yeah. Yeah. And guess what? Yeah, a little bit less on the women's side for sure. Um, There's actually more men on. on That's what I meant. 24 is less than there's normal there. Yeah, for sure. There's more men and a little less women, but um, look, they're going to still stay in the families' homes. Yeah, exactly. They're going to still have them cooking for them every night for the most part. There will be people, you know, competitors, athletes there that have never 
that's not spent a lot of time there. I wouldn't, maybe there's going to be ones that have never been there yeah. and wow. they'll have their, we'll have, they'll have situations. I mean, the Olympics is very, very prepared. And again, back to like the point of, of it being a different surfing event than I've ever experienced. Um, there it's just, there's so much preparation. There's so much meticulous detail. Oh that my God. I can only imagine it. It blew my mind really. And, and, in so many ways. And then we were in the midst, not, not in the center of COVID, but we pulled it off in the COVID environment and there are still right. COVID, massive COVID protocols to do the entire Olympic games. I had to quarantine. So yeah, oh, she had really? to quarantine for yeah. four days. I did discover that you could Uber eats alcohol in Japan. <laughs> that got me through a significant portion of the quarantine. Nice. <laughs> she, she discovered that the first hour. <laughs> it's, it sounds like it's almost as labor intensive as planning a surf film festival. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Can't imagine. And, and, well, for sure. Then And that is labor intensive. You know, you guys oh, do an not incredible a job. Joke. Yeah, uh, not I mean, a, doesn't hold a candle to that. Um, the I'm other impressed. thing I just wanted to talk about really quickly, and I don't know if it's of interest to you, if not, just delete me. I don't care. Delete me out of this whole thing. I don't care. No. Um, <laughs> but what was unique about the athletes, because I was in the beach marshal with these guys. Part of my job was to time them for TV. And, and what what's different about the Olympics that I think a lot of people weren't used to is normally before your heat, you can get out into the sand. You can paddle out. You can sit on, you know, whatever. Have your mental time. I had to hold them in the beach marshal for 10 minutes before their heat. Oh, okay. So... And that's for timing for TV. So they, you know, you release them in a certain order and then they go down and they stand in a line and the cameras go on them. It's Carissa Moore, you know, all that. And then I had to scream at them to release them to the beach to run in. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I was so, I mean, I'm impressed with these athletes. They're incredible human beings. They're incredibly driven. But some of the, like Italo, when he came in the beach marshal, he had this look on his face and I was like, holy shit. He's his intensity. Like I thought he was going to kill me. (laughs) He just like looks through you. You can kind of see, you can see the intensity and the drive of these athletes. And that was such a unique, cool experience. And also I felt like the biggest asshole. Cause I'm like, I'm sorry. I got to hold you here for TV. You know, like, yeah. and they're like, Jake, just let me go. There's yeah, they weren't go. used to that. And it's right? going to be not, that way. They're used to yeah. what they're used to. And Olympic protocol is Olympic protocol. And we yeah. had to teach this. And this was part of our, my, it was definitely part of my job is to educate the athletes and it, on yeah. protocol. This is Olympic protocol, guys. This is not what you're used to. Yeah, and yeah. you've got to play game, play with us here. I saw that intensity on hole number four when Kelly was three strokes behind. <laughs> That's <John>. right. <laughs> I'd be yeah. terrified. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when he's three back on hole four, you, yeah. he's yeah. going to look through you. John would get in the cart with a smile. He couldn't get off his face. He was <laughs> like, oh. I was like, oh, it's just a matter of time. Will you refill that for me, please? Can I, do uh, yeah. I don't want to make the noise of the thing. No, no we, we like the noise. the noise. The noise it added, promotes it promotes added, Yeti. Added yeah. and they're a sponsor, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Yeti. All good. Yeti we got a long tech rehearsal out of us. What a, what talk a brand! About a brand. Yeti no kidding. is an incredible brand. And yeah, they know they how to do quality. it. Those things stay icy for like two weeks. Shout wow. out to Mike Bagnolo. Was my stickers in there? Yeah, that's what you I did. Were you drinking the stickers? I was drinking my... Uh, yes, you're, drink, <laughs> you're drinking your Yeti stickers. Oh, and that's good and stuff. Your, and your Kanye. Oh, my God. That's classic. Yeti I thought Kanye. it tasted a little weird. Yeah, a little plastic paper. A little, little gluey. <laughs> yeah. If I pass out later, you guys know why. Yeah. Just that's clue. really funny. So, uh, yeah, put the microphone right up next to it. There you go. There we go. All right. I'm refilling. Refill. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Venue pricing. Exactly. All right. So this 
qualifying process is we sort of talked about it at dinner last night. Yep. I'm still unclear, but I also understand that um, if there were a sequel, are we allowed to talk about that? Sure. Okay. If there were a sequel to Fernando's story, uh, I was naturally interested. So I asked you last night and then you said, yeah, we're actually considering making a second documentary about this process of how do the surfers qualify? How do they get to the top 24, if you will? Absolutely. It's extremely complex from what I can tell. Uh, but it's it's also... Go ahead. I just want to give Jay credit because I don't think many people have done this. So before, because we are going to, we, we did have a discussion with the ISA today about a content series or how we can kind of keep this story going through Paris. Yeah, that'd be great. And Jay spent an obscene amount of time playing out the scenarios of, you know, there's a, you'll talk about it, but really passionate about trying to understand what the potential qualification scenarios could be. Yeah. Um, and what people's opportunities are to kind of help guide the storylines moving into Paris. He spent a lot of time, you know, look, it's very complicated. It's complicated, right? And it's extremely complicated. And what we need to do is educate the audience endemic and non-demic on, on (laughs) try to simplify that for them and, and teach them through, the stories of the athletes. I like and flow charts yeah. and I like Zen di- Zen diagrams. Flow charts. You'll are, love our are, flow chart on. We this. have lots okay. of flow charts. <laughs> yeah, so there's eight pathways and and we can we don't need to get into all all the different pathways on the WSL being the first and then it goes down to the really the three World Surfing Games from 2022, 2023, and 2024. Cool. And then if you um, win one of those, you're in. No, no, okay. not necessarily, okay. but right. but it's. See what I mean? It's close. So it gets very, it gets very complicated. I me, mean, last year in 2022, um, the winner earned a team slot for their country. So, Team USA for the women, and Team Japan, Kanoe Garashi and Kira Pinkerton from the women one for the USA. They get to choose who they want as a third a- potential third athlete for their countries or first athlete potentially in Japan's case who knows how things play out so right. there's a it, it's interesting because things have to play out uh, at, at a certain level for us to really kind of predict what who is in and who's out right and I can do you know and I've done some serious research I just said and about predictions of of who is going to make it here and it you can be pretty strategic about that so I have a question um, because during that first Olympics uh, in Japan, there was a lot. I shouldn't say a lot. There was a for a period of time. There was a lot of talk about uh, Kelly, whether or not he was going to be able to get in. Yep. And John John and his strategic withdrawal from events and his injury. Was that from your perspective, being on the other side of the Olympic stuff? Was that a topic? In your world? Daily. I mean, how could yeah. Kelly not be a topic? <laughs> Daily, right? I mean, he, who didn't want Kelly Slater in the Olympic Games? I John mean, from John. A specific, I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, I don't. Th- I think even John John wanted Kelly Slater in the Olympic Games. Yeah. I just think he he seized his opportunity sure. and his earn, he earned that spot, he, right? Yeah, absolutely. So here's the, the bottom line is he earned that slot, and Kelly, unfortunately – was it unable to qualify due to the rules and do the way 
the rules were laid out. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. I mean, that's that's what happened. And if they'd know, given you twenty four spots, would he maybe have made it? If let me think, because they had twenty and twenty two, and the next games is twenty four. I don't. He, I don't think he he wouldn't have made yeah. it okay, actually under in that situation. But you know who would have made it is is. Um, is Gabriel Medina would have got in because he would have got a third spot. So there's all these, we've tried to make adjustments to the, I say we, the ISA has tried to make adjustments to the rule, the rules here to, to benefit getting the best surfers possible in the event. The best surfers possible in the event doesn't necessarily mean Kelly Slater. And, you know, Kelly Slater is my favorite surfer in the world. He's the GOAT. There's no question, if ands, or buts, that he, you know, probably deserved to have an Olympic slot. But you have to qualify to yeah. the Olympic Games. And they, they, we have to set rules and boundaries that, you know, every other sport in the world abide by. And, and you know, did, we, did, did the ISA get all the rules right to, to make it in there? It's a growing process, but sure. you had to set some rules and boundaries to get there. And unfortunately, he just didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a, a interesting pill for surfing to swallow because we have prided ourselves on not totally. following rules. And, you know, so, yeah, there's he's, he's my favorite, too. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Jay, what's another sport like maybe context from from another sport that a superstar is there any context that you can think of to compare it to make it digestible for people? Um, that's a put me off guard there. Well, this what is, about, a, this is off the, the record. That, till what the about the fact that, the, yeah. that for years and years and years, the NBA guys couldn't play in the Olympics because yeah. they were professional athletes? Well, at w- one point, the WSL did revoke the waivers for the CTRs to surf in the ISA World Surfing Games. Oh, yeah. Like right, I think right. that's just been a consistent, you know, back and forth, but. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of those are different questions and different kind of scenarios. And and look, it's an adjustment. We're we're going to continue. The ISA is going to continue to adjust to what is the best possible qualification process for the Olympic Games. Sure. And we we, there's now eight pathways, and that's what we want to explain these pathways and this road to Tahiti. I like it. In with stories, human human interest stories, right? And those mm-hmm. interest stories are athletes that are trying to qualify for yeah. the games. And you tell you tell these incredible emotional stories, and and at the same time you're educating what how to get into the games. Absolutely, and I think to some degree Kelly not making it gave that story a lot more longevity. Here we are still talking about it. If he'd have made it. Yeah. You're talking about it. Yeah, you know, I mean, John John used <laughs> his rightful spot there Absolutely. and I'm you know, he was still he was definitely not 100%. I could promise you that at at the Olympic Games I was around him a lot and I know John John wasn't 100%, but he was not going to miss the opportunity at the first Olymp- Olympic Games. Yeah. yeah. And Don't blame him. You know, I who could blame him and, and I'm sure Kelly did not. And so it just was one of those unfortunate circumstances, and I think there's potential for him this year. I can or the, in the, going into 2024. There's a lot of potential out there for Kelly. So. Yeah, like he if yeah. he wins the contest, is it in El Salvador? El Salvador is a a bad example because El Salvador upcoming is is a regional qualifier, and there's, so there's no American 
qualification coming out of that. Got and it. what's what needs to be kind of super clear is that the WSL is the the first hierarchy, and it's ten men athletes. Okay, and you're extremely likely to get two USA qualifiers out of that out of that process. And that means the top two qualified United States or United States athletes from the WSL means Kelly's got to get, be one of those two guys. Hawaii is not surfing sovereign. They're surfing as part of the USC of that. Correct. State. So Hawaii is there. Hawaii surfs for the United States. So we're talking John, John Florence, Seth Moniz, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so he's, you know, <laughs> if he does well on the CT this year and is one of the top two surfers from the United States, Kelly Slater is in the Olympic Games. No shit. Yeah, absolutely. And wow. And so the next pathway for him would be the 2024 uh, World Surfing Games, which is okay. it, yet to be determined where it's going to be. Okay. We're going to hold it at a place of significance. Um, the ISA is going to hold it at a place of significance. Um, you know, to kind of marvel that of of Tahiti and where they're going and try to keep a level playing field there. Mm -hmm. If the United States men, any one of them three guys that competes, wins a slot, the U.S. could give it to Kelly Slater. So, so cool. there's there's a couple pathways now that we've opened up, the ISA has opened up, so that, yeah, we kind of call it the Kelly Slater role behind <laughs> the scenes. But, but you know, it, it could also be called the Gabriel Medina, not the Gabriel, the... the um, uh, who's our world champion right now? Italo. It, not or Italo. No, no, um, um, Felipe, Felipe Toledo. Yeah, Felipe Toledo. It's it's also the Felipe Toledo rule. You know, really, he he, he would have been in with the 24 athletes because Brazil won the World Games that would have got him in. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, we're also available for the World Games. <laughs> uh, well, that. My favorite that, event you'll ever go to. It's really magical. It's like all these, you know, you have over 100 nations parading together with their in their country garb. And it's really probably one of the biggest displays of, of worldwide camaraderie I've ever seen. It's magical. You should go if you get the chance. All right. Well, he will be a water, medic. Water, water, water safety guy. Water safety guy. We've got spots for that. Kevin's an accountant for anybody that doesn't know. Be motherfucking Yeah, let's go, baby. We'll take care of you. Let's go. I mean, I've got... I've got about, you know, 20 crew on the live broadcast. So, you know, it yeah. seems like you've got a little experience. So we, we, oh, yeah. We got Loads some options. of experience. We got we some options. Yeah. Thing, like, really tight. It's really tight. There's one interesting thing I do want to tell you guys about. So, When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. 
linkedinjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. There's one interesting thing I do want to tell you guys about. So the pathway through the ISA has been really interesting to observe the past couple of years. So you have guys that qualified for the Olympics, like Moroccan Ramsey Bukiam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His pathway in was... Rio Riowada. Riowada, exactly. Mm-hmm. Leo Fiervanti. Like you had this pathway only through the ISA for those guys to qualify for the Olympics. And now they're on the CT. Yeah. So That's cool. This is where this like universal opportunity is given by the ISA, which I know, you know, we talked about this last night. Not many people really understand what they're that they are all about or, you know, their contributions, like endemics, especially, I think. Um, But it's a beautiful thing to see these guys have qualified. You know, Ramsey Bukiam is the first Arabic Arabic athlete ever on Mm -hmm. the CT. And he came through the ISA pipeline through the Olympics. And now they have a chance to qualify for the Olympics through the WSL. Yeah. So, like, there's all these stories that develop and unfold for these athletes that w- would have never had a chance to the CT if that was the only qualification platform. Yeah. You know, you have a not or on the women's side from Israel. Yeah. Right? right? It's yeah. crazy. Unlikely and wonderful. That yeah. She, so, I think there's just, it's so fun. You know, as I said, I'm not a surfer. I'm not endemic. But there's all these stories where you can, can hold on to these champions that would have never been given a chance before. Brings me back to Havana Libre. We showed a movie that uh, Make Wild Productions made, I think with some WSL support. Uh, so I just tell yeah. everybody, check it out. It's a good movie. I about can't wait to watch it. I'm so getting, trying to get that. Cuba uh, to recognize surfing as a national sport. So, yeah, it's a good story. To give, yeah. give them an opportunity, they would have a strong opportunity for sure. Absolutely. I mean, to echo your point, in 2019, Kelly came down with with uh, John John and Kalohe for the World Surfing Games, and there was this, you know, everyone thought what you think. If if you win, you're in, right? It, yeah. it seems that yeah. seems reasonable, but yeah. but that's just not how the rules were laid out and things were laid out. But the point is, those guys had the best time. He stayed all the way through, and it was a departure. And, and you know, even Jordy says it in the film, a departure from – their normal competition bullshit. Yeah. It was, they then become, they're, they're playing for country. They're surfing for country and, and for free for God's sakes. Yeah. But you know, you know, these boys get sponsors to pay their bills a little bit, but they, you could see that they were enjoying themselves and I'm not just cool because I'm the broadcaster of the darn thing. You could see it in their eyes, in their, in their hearts. You could see it along those lines. You mentioned last night, I think it was you, it might have been, I can't remember, I think, anyway, so are we allowed to talk about the fact that Germany and their Olympic committee is supporting their athletes to uh, hopefully win a place in that 24-person roster? They won a place in Tokyo. They did, okay. Yeah, so um, Germany is, nobody would really think about Germany as like this epicenter of surf, right? Um, Do you want me to talk about it? Sure. So... When surfing became an Olympic sport, Germany's federation decided to fund things that would really help athletes like exercise their full potential. So sports psychology. They travel this incredible German sports psychologist and trainer. His name is Martin Wells. And he had kind of brought, been brought on board. And um, Leon Glatzer, who was 
the Olympian for Germany, eventually the Olympian for Germany, um, was given all these resources to really mentally and physically prepare for this moment. So they are a, a federation that I think has really put a lot of weight financially and otherwise behind not only the mental health aspect, but physical. And there's other ones, Australia. Yeah, Japan, Japan France. USA. France has a team yeah. that's traveled for years yeah. now as a as a very solid unit, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, to be honest, the U.S. did not come in early as a unit. They became one. Yeah. They absolutely did become one, and the Olympics really brought them together especially. That's but great. But countries like Japan... France, Germany, Indonesia, even the little ones like Morocco really put they're putting energy, emphasis and their and money and influx into yeah. preparation for guess what? The Olympics. Yeah, exactly. And it's the German yeah. surfers are flying to they're El Salvador, to El Salvador, once, Salvador once a month. From what I understand once a month now to train because this is their pathway. The ISA is their pathway. Yeah. And their opportunity to get to the rings, you know. So it's this Love is that. this rising tides, rises all boats mentality of what's happening in the sport, which was probably very uncomfortable for people in the beginning. Like you're it doesn't legitimize the sport, but it takes it to this whole other athletic level. Oh yeah, it's fun. Um, but the mental health aspect of becoming an Olympian. Chasing the Olympic mm, dream, right? Traveling all the time, new forms of training. Like this is what Fernando and the ISA have given to this sport. Exactly, is this increase in funding? It's so really remarkable to watch. Yeah, it's cool to watch it all come all the way to where it is now. I I read Richie Fitzgerald's book. It's called Cold Water Eden. He's an Irish surfer that uh, competed for the Irish national team for a number of years. Mm -hmm. But the way he talks about it in the book is. Just so, I mean, obviously, the Irish have a lot of pride anyway, but, like, you know, he's so proud of being able to represent that country, his home mm -hmm. country, and yes. then work through that. And then Give now to chills, coach. chicken skin right there. Yeah, right. I mean, and he coached at some point he did. Now he's in Australia a bit, but he's coaching when he when he could, the young guys and watching them come up. And uh, it's a big deal. I mean, I talked to him last night with uh, Mikey Corker, who's here for Savage Waters and showing yeah. his film with your movie. fantastic. Great to see that. Yeah. And so uh, we talked to him for about an hour total, but a half an hour of that was like where we stand on Irish surfing. And it's uh, a whole different realm of uh, surfing entering the contest of who's the best surfer in the world kind of thing. It's kind of, it's, there's the WSL over here, and then there's this national take on how we get there. And there's, I, I forget about it. I yeah. There's also there's, guys yeah. you never think would be surfing like, um, uh, um, Afridan from Afghanistan. He comes by himself exactly. to every single ISA event, and it's him rocking it, and he's such a love and a joy. And um, there's other, t like Ramsey Bukiam, actually, from Morocco. It's always just he and his coach. Yeah. It's only those two, and they're always there together, and they're amazing. And so, you know, this is a great platform well, for athletes like that. Oh, just to it, echo yeah. on that, the Olympics are about global sport uh, inclusion. Mm -hmm. All right? So, yes... <laughs> yes, you want the best athletes in the world to represent your country, but it truly is is a global sport inclusion, right? And so, our sport has really has, t you know, typically been dominated by th three countries, which is Brazil, United States, and Australia, uh, in no order. But you know, we were entering a realm of global sport inclusion in our sport. You know, we had eighteen countries represented in the 2000 yeah. and 2000 Tokyo games. I think there'll be more. 
Yeah. I think there'll be more this year. And, you know, there's eight more athletes, so there'll probably be more. And I think, I think these athletes are deserve it. That's great. And, and, you know, <clears throat> and there might be an outlying situation a la Kelly Slater, a la, a la Philippe that, you know, you kind of are like, okay, how can we fix that? You know, how can we make sure that a couple of the top, top, top tier athletes don't do not get um, a spot, but you know, the, the global universality of this to, for lack of a better term is what the Olympics are all about. Yeah. And we have yeah. Fernando to thank. Yeah. Your yeah. We absolutely have Fernando Gary to thank He's, your movie documents it really well. Love it. He just was um, relentless, the man. He's relentless, and he's... Authentic. Passionate. Passionate, And authentic, and he's a a wonderful human being, and it was an absolute joy to to be able to spend that much time and energy with him. And, you know, Jeff... Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Oh, hi. Hi, hi, Jeff. (laughs) My name's Jeff, your wife. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jeff, you did a great job crafting the story, but Jessica really was the crafter of the story and one kind of point that you know I don't necessarily mean to end with was that there's n- the the film has no narration right so yeah. it's all told by stories yeah by f- by um first person stories which is unique in a documentary it's very difficult to do and and she crafted an, an, an incredible guide guiding people through a story without Without telling a documentary, very difficult to do that. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's also interesting, you know, in in a perfect world, you have like a pre-production timeline and you have this development timeline and you get to sh- choose where you're shooting and who you're shooting and what interviews you want to craft this narrative around this documentary. We didn't get that because we didn't know this was going to be a documentary really until mm. after the Olympic Games. So wow. a lot of this was like interviews we did during COVID where, you know, we produced over zoom and the athlete was somewhere across the world with their cinematographer and no audio. And like, you know, it it was, we were in lockdown. Mm -hmm. So we, it was a a joy. And we also had to pull thread this all together with like assets, a lot of assets that we had already been sitting on. Yeah. Um, which the ISA is nonprofit, you know, they don't have Netflix budgets. Yeah. I hope they they don't have WSL budgets at all. I mean, this is not even close. This is a whole different ballgame. You know, you make do with what you have, but um, thanks Jay. That was very nice. It was an honor to Fernando has taught me so much about authenticity and truly sitting in a room and being who you are and not giving a shit. Yeah. Right. Like he's the only guy on conference calls, zooms with the Olympic folks from around the world in right. a bow tie <laughs> like a crazy feather bow tie and yeah. that's part of what got him into the olympics yeah is who he was who he is and he will never not be and we should all follow that example you know yeah, that's it. a great point yeah when speaking about stories that's the name yeah, of our oh, podcast, Surf yeah, Story. Right. You guys Surf are stories. So yeah, up. we're gonna we're gonna oh, pick yeah, you guys Jay. up and, oh, and never oh, fear. Oh, you want me to tell them about the seaweed sharks? Yeah, that's your perfect surf story. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Seaweed sharks? Out there. I don't surf, obviously, but Jay took me out once in Carlsbad. Once she surfs several. She's. I'm fine. I can. She, she, this is so funny. I don't surf. She surfs. She doesn't. She's not an avid surfer. Yeah. But he took me out. It was like maybe the first month or first year we were dating and we're paddling out. It's like against this cliff in in Carlsbad. I don't know the name. Where in Carlsbad? Thank you. I don't know. Uh, Tamarack zone. Okay. Right. What's that little reef south of Tamarack? I don't even know the name. It's a little longboard spot. 
there's there's a cliffside there and a bunch of houses and you just go down. I don't even know the name. It's of not the Beacons, little, is it? Not Beacons. No. It's way north of there. Oh, okay. Anyway, little like north little of Ponto, s- south. Yeah, yeah, like north of Ponto. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, we can yeah, make yeah. up a, little, a name if you want. We have no yeah. fucking clue. Um, <laughs> Call it Jessica. They, Je- it's Jessica's. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Seaweed. Jeff. Yes. Jeff. Yeah. Seaweed. Um, Secret spot. So we're we're out there sitting, and all of a sudden, like you know, there's just a little bit of movement in the water, and something pulls my board back really Your fast, leash. and I start my leash, and I started screaming at the top of my lungs. There's people on the cliff taking you know stupid v- videos of me. Jay's like, "What?" I'm like, "There's a shark! There's a shark!" <laughs> Jay comes paddling over like Mach ten. And he's like, what, what? And he's like, uh, Jess, that was seaweed pulling your leash. (laughs) (laughs) And I just looked at him and these people on the cliff think there's a shark. And I'm like, this is why I only tell the stories about the surfers and nobody wants to hear my story. It's forever the seaweed seaweed shark. the seaweed shark. Seaweed sharks. (laughs) Seaweed shark. Hold her under. I touched a jellyfish yesterday and I screamed (laughs) really loud. Hey, man. Yeah. That's that's funny, too, because we don't have the same type of seaweed here. In Florida, is yours no. just alligators, oh, yeah. or so what is yours? Well, no, no, yeah, we do. We occasionally you get an alligator in, but no, we just we get the sorghum seaweed, which is like free floating. We don't have seaweed that's anchored to the bottom because it's all beach break here. There's no reef or rock structure, so um, you just come out camo, little, yeah. water camo, little yeah. sargasso yeah. on occasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's all we get, but. That I, I mean, bad. having surfed in California, like you can get tangled up in that stuff pretty good. And yeah. freak me out, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Freak Jay, me out. Do you ever go off the cliff in a car like Taylor Steele with the camera equipment? Uh thank God, not off a cliff in the car. But I've been off some big wave cliffs. But you know, not, Jay produced yeah. a big wave tour for the WSL, so yeah. his story. Oh, is that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. We should touch on that. That let's let that be your surf story. Oh, tell, shoot, tell us about how you got into tour sh- days, man. Yeah, man. Those are, those because are we can all lament that it's gone at. And uh, wish it was back, obviously. But yeah, there's a, there's one event, but uh, well, yeah, we'll leave that be. I mean, Pia is unbelievable, and at least it lives. And yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's right for the taking out there. But look, it, that th- those days came back from Mav- Mavs, right? I I ended up starting producing Mavericks to make a dollar, yeah, <laughs> to make any money, and that that's um, and it was really grassroots back in the day, you know. Me and a couple of my boys climbing the fence at the at the marine base up there and getting access and shooting and chucking a live like kind of like this. We'd set up with a little soundboard and I'd literally announce the event. And then, nice. you know, it turned into a pretty big deal with NBC coming in and we'd have production trucks and did some, you know, high level live broadcasting for Mavericks over the years. And and that really led into Gary Linden's dream, which was, you know, a, a big wave tour. And so that started in um, 2006 with uh, the TOTUS event out there. And ESPN mm-hmm. paid for a, a crew and us to go out there. And Is that a Taylor Knox victory? <laughs> I, well, it, Taylor Knox t- was not in the event. That was a Mark no. Healy victory. And we Mark gave Healy, him, okay. We gave him a fucking bottle of tequila. <laughs> that was his prize? Yes, at the strip club. Nice. So, that's nice. so he got, that's what he fucking won. I, okay. There's no joke. Wow. He won a bottle of tequila. We had a great Good party. Honor. Best trophy ever. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, it was all back then, you guys. It was absolute love. I mean, we went to Pico Alto, and we got they got us a house or whatever. There was no furniture in the house whatsoever. We slept in our fucking board bags. Wow. No shit. Yeah, no, swear to God. And, and you know, Grant Washburn and I were kind of spearheading the uh, – the back end side of things, doing the live broadcast. Gary was running the events, and the boys were just getting there and surfing. 
How did you get that to the satellites? I mean, what did you have that? Well, it was all internet based, right? So I would, I would claw to figure out what internet they would have on site. Exactly. You know how many phone calls I made just to I know, right? Joe Blow or whatever to get. Hey, do you got any internet? Are you you have internet? You have you have internet? And sure enough, we would. It was just the house enough internet at the house to get a stream out. No to get people to watch the show. Holy cow! I had no idea it was that basic. It was that basic. You were like calling in T one lines and satellites in the well. That became that when the WSL took over and we started working with them, and it became that level. We we had it to that level before that. You know, Mavericks. What we had a deal with NBC before the year before they bought it. The WSL bought the big wave tour and it was going real well. We were, we did Oregon live on NBC mm-hmm. national television, which is definitely a satellite dish there. And that was a little Nell more Scott. money. Yeah. That was Nell yeah. Scott. And we also did um, Mavericks that year for the body glove Mavericks invitational, which was, which was um, I think it was whatever year it was, but, but yeah, those days were cowboy, man. They were, they were crazy. They were cowboy. We, we just, it was a lot of fucking fun. Yeah. Uh, we just were like a big old traveling circus and you would just, it was the call every single goddamn day. And I was, I was, there was eight events at one point and I was on call 24 seven for the entire year Wow. to, to basically leave and organize a goddamn live broadcast <laughs> wherever we we're going to do it. How many I'm Pelican? Glad that was in your first marriage. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. how, how many Pelican boxes is that? So, yeah, I mean, I, we typically, and we typically, Travel with uh, between thirty and forty pelicans on the belly of a plane. Sometimes wow. just the two of us, by the way. Wow. What does that check-in process look like? It's real ugly. patient. It's ugly. Oh it's Air, the, uh, I leave. Air France. She doesn't. Uh, yeah. Let the let the Air France is a not. Air a France great is a no-go one. for that much gear. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, you could call us the pelican boys. Yes. Oh, yeah. This is Same. not possible. <laughs> <laughs> this is not possible. We cannot. Travel I think with you guys this. could do a whole other yeah. podcast on like you know we talked about it last night like yeah. all the stories of making a movie and getting there and do, people oh, have yeah. no idea. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, I don't have any idea. I, uh. I mean, I have my friend Sean who runs a facility rental. Sorry, a, fis, a camera rental house. Right. That he rents out camera, and, and I see the Southwest cargo FedEx bills every year. It's incredible. And uh, yeah, lenses come back all scratched. He's like, "What the hell are you guys doing?" Oh, he has them rehoused on occasion. It's not a small bill. Uh, it's yeah, it's pretty impressive to see everything that goes into what you guys do. I mean, the Pelican cases alone are no joke. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I'll put, I will put you on the spot though, Jay. In all your time producing the Big Wave yeah. World Tour, scariest moment. Could be for you or somebody else in the event. Well, the scariest moment was by far. I was we were in Fiji, um, covering. It wasn't a big wave tour event. We were doing what we called strike missions, which is what was kind of my dream from day one, which is yeah. just chasing big swells. Because when you put constraints around big wave days, I think I, I don't know if there's something there. I mean it. We all want to see a competition. We want to. The, the Eddie is doing a pretty good job. Yeah. But backing up to my story, we're in Fiji. We're up first light. The whole crew is really prepared. Greg Long was running safety. Larry Haynes on the back of a ski. We we're going to run a live event on Facebook for the WSL. I went out to I'm produce. I'm just assuming Cloudbreak. Cloudbreak. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Giant Cloudbreak. Insane yeah. day out there. The Gadalskis were there. Uh, Damian Hobgood was a big standout that morning. But Aaron Gold paddled out first light before at dark. Mm-hmm. And I was the only guy on. I w- there was two of us. There was me, Gordo, and actually Larry Haynes 
um, on the tower, right? It was dead pitch black, and I'm setting up my gear, setting up my Pelicans, dragging shit up, and we see, you know, I'm, I go to the roof with Larry, and we see Aaron kind of get one, and we're like, whoa, it was like dark. We could barely see, but it was a bomb. Huge, huge set. And then we're back working, 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 and then I go back up, up top to look at it again, and sure enough, we see this Bob board oh, tombstone, no. tombstone, boing, boing, boing. Um, uh, a good friend, Danny Ecker, was running safety, um, and Larry just had gotten on the ski at that point. And we had radios, radioed to him, you know, shish kebabs, there's a Bob and board. Yeah. They came blazing in, picked Aaron up, you know, Danny jumped off the back of the, the ski, bear hugged him, got him on the sled, got him to the boat, and uh, Greg and, and some of the boys resuscitated him out in the water and it was it was scary man i mean that that was ever, that was the worst case scenario we we had been planning and planning and planning and planning we can't lose somebody we can't lose somebody if we lose someone in our event we we, we were they're definitely done, done. done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that that doesn't you know that sounds really selfish you're losing a human life and and um anyway luckily the man came to we had a great time talking story and had dinner and i've got some good photos of hugging him you know wow luckily, luckily we got that call into him you know because i don't think he'd be here otherwise yeah yeah it's, yeah. A, it's the mark healy the the big water big wave risk assessment group guys like yeah. have yeah. all Perfect's done part of that yeah. yeah yeah hoover and those guys yeah For so sure. we're, yeah. we're actually bringing that to uh, the festival in Amazing. August. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I've been talking with Zach Diano, who is kind of the behind-the-scenes guy. He's actually um, Brian Kailana's son-in-law. Oh, wow, cool. And Well, um, he's talking about Godfather. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we I, I actually went and took the course in Hawaii and have been working with these guys for like four or five years now, but um, tentatively, but looking really good to bring it here in August and have That's those guys incredible. here. That's incredible. Those guys great. are heroes, man. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. They're saving lives. Yeah. Uh, well, man, it's been such a pleasure talking Thank to you guys. You. We can't can't wait to show your movie tomorrow night and uh, just get the, the what I feel like is going to be the opening taste of this journey with surfing in the Olympics. I have a feeling that you guys are probably going to document the next 20 or 30 years of surfing in the Olympics. Um, yeah, fingers so crossed for swell in 2024. Yeah, and yeah, proof. yeah. No and thank kidding. you guys. Honestly, um, what you guys have set up and built, and the graciousness that you extend to your filmmakers, um, I think people really need to know about. It's unique, and you've made us feel like you know at home and family, and very well taken care of. And oh, we really welcome. appreciate thank it. You. It's great. Yeah, yeah, we're happy to have you guys here. Thank you so much. Yep. Yeah, to close, you guys are amazing for sure. And yeah, look, we got Chopo at, at 2024. Then we're going to LA. Yeah, and and then we're going to Brisbane. So you, that you really have yeah. you, that. Oh, wow. I That's didn't great. complete my point earlier, but those three kind of the stars align there, right? So yeah. we, we might need to worry about it past then and get into the wave pool conversation then. Yeah, but you know the ILC wants to stay in the ocean. So here's to what got us here, which is the, our beautiful ocean, our mother nature, and and the waves, and what we 
what we love and know and the lifestyle of the sport, that's what got us here. And that's what the Olymp the IOC wants to showcase, yeah. which I really think is phenomenal. Yeah, man. That's great. That's awesome. Awesome. Right. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate the chat. Cheers, guys. Thank you. And uh, yeah. yeah, talk to you later. Uh, are are we doing the outro? I'm sorry, I was booking a ticket to Tahiti <laughs> no. for 2024. <laughs> I can hold cable. Yeah, I'll swim underwater and hold cable, and I'll carry swim fins and whatever. I'll do anything. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't mind. I would actually just love to see you know Chopu and all of its uh, glory. I think the fact that there are Olympic athletes, the best in the world, in front of me. Surfing. I mean, what do I got to do to get on one of those boats, right? Yeah. Or I'll in, just or swim in the, out there uh, and tread. Booth. I'll just swim out there and tread water. Like, I'll just tread water in the channel. I don't even care. <laughs> oh, I will not. But I will, I will probably watch. For, I'll probably get hurt jumping out of the boat. As we, say. <laughs> we can do a... Uh, we can. I'll sit in the control booth and take notes. or I don't care. I'll do Absolutely. anything. Oh, so yeah. I hope I'm they're gonna listening. I'm going to carry Jay and Jessica's luggage. That's right. Hopefully. Exactly. Hopefully. I will do but, that too. No, what what a cool story, and um, they are so ingrained in the ISA and the IOC, and um, just can't wait to see the production that comes out of that 2024 Olympics at Tehopo'o in uh, Tahiti. Yep. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, Kevin and I will be there. Yep, that would be great. I appreciate them coming on and the podcast we recorded on a Friday right before the the film that they uh, shared with our fans with you and uh, what a generous thing to come out do a little Q&A too I recorded a bit of that by the way I, I think I um, I forgot to hit the record button on time but it was a cool Q&A if we find anything in there maybe we'll share that later nice yeah, but, uh, it, was yeah. A, it was a great night we had a packed house sold out 450 people and um, just perfect weather in the amphitheater and um, it was a great, great night to, to show movies, and we were thrilled to have them out. Yeah. And uh, so stoked that they sat down and had a chat with us and yeah. uh, kind of talked about the making of the film and where Olympic surfing is heading, and uh, we can't wait to see what else uh, comes from them. Can't go without mentioning, remembering Ethan Wilson and the loss our community suffered, and, uh, you know, we, we tried to bring folks together um, on a regular basis, obviously, but... And in this one, it was a little bittersweet um, saying goodbye to Ethan, but uh, we raised a little bit of money for his family, and we want to continue to do that. There's a GoFundMe out there. If you haven't already, feel free to make any contribution you can. And uh, there's a paddle out if this goes live, and I'm not sure it will. But anyway, celebrating Ethan would be uh, top on our minds that night, and we tried to. And that, that's kind of... Yeah, it was, it was yeah. good. I, you know, to be honest, I wasn't... Sure, we found out the day of the event at 2 p.m. that uh, that the decision had been made uh, to remove him from life support and um, to have one lacked one last act of uh, kindness and heroism like he did so often and uh, donated his organs. Um, so yeah, it was a wonderful night. I heard a lot of stories get shared uh, during the festival, um, people just remembering their time with Ethan. So um, we were glad that that happened um that people could come out and uh share in the community and the fellowship of uh yeah getting, getting together and remembering him yeah i think uh his kindness and his reputation 
um, carry back to the first film festival in 2013 where he and Chris Kerr were out there yeah. having a good time. And uh, anyway, we'll miss you, Ethan. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. And uh, yeah, have a good one. We'll, uh, we'll be back with more. Thank you. Thank you.